Last week, we introduced this chapter. We read through the entire chapter. I'm not going to do that again today. Um, but we introduced this chapter. In, the, in this chapter, Paul is writing to uh, the Romans. And the, the city of Rome was a very diverse city. There were a lot of uh, Jewish uh, believers in Rome, those that had grown up in the Jewish faith. So those that had knew all the, the, the crossing your T's and dotting your I's and they did all the festivals and, the, and the, all the sacrifices and they understood all the rituals. But then there were also this great mystery that Jesus brought in and that was that he came for everyone, not just the Jews. And so there were Gentile, non-Jews that had come to faith in Christ that were now in the same city and they were supposed to fellowship together as a body of believers and they were supposed to get along with one another. They didn't look the same, they weren't from the same backgrounds, their, their practices weren't the same, their cultures were not the same and they were supposed to come together now as believers. And by the way, that's still the plan. Uh, that is still the plan, is that we, from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from different uh, generations, from different, different ethnicities, it is the plan that we come together as the body of Christ. And so Paul was trying to help with that in this chapter because inevitably when you bring people together from different backgrounds and different cultures, they're going to come together and they're going to bring their culture with them. And so what happens when a member of this culture thinks it's wrong to do this but a member of this culture does not think it's wrong for them to do it. The same thing. That becomes a problem. That becomes an issue. That is a potential tension that arises. And so Paul takes this chapter, Romans 14, and tells us how to deal with differences. How do we deal with people that think differently about certain things? And so last week, before we can understand this, last week... We took some time to talk about what are the essentials of our faith. There are some things that we don't do that on. We do not sit there and go, I mean, yeah, I know you don't believe that salvation is by grace through faith, but I get it from your culture, you don't get that. No, that's one of the things we stand upon. In fact, spoiler alert from last Sunday, if you were not here, we closed, or we, we, we gave these. The Bible is, and Justin, you may have that at the, the end of the sermon, I'm not sure if you have those listed. The Bible is infallible and sufficient the uniqueness and deity of Christ, the triune Godhead, the necessity of the cross, and the resurrection and second coming of Jesus. Sorry, I threw a curveball at him right there. I'm sorry. Those are the foundations. There is no debate. The Bible is infallible and sufficient. The uniqueness and deity of Christ, he was born of a virgin, and he is God. The triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that, that un, the inexplicable mystery of the three in one, the necessity of the cross, salvation by grace through faith, and then the resurrection of Jesus and his second coming. Those are non-negotiables. So that's what we talked about last week. Now this week, we're going to take the steps into some things that are worth fighting for. Question mark. Some things worth fighting for. Romans 14, verse 1. If you have it in your Bible, follow along. If not, it'll be on the screen or in an app. Romans 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the, in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. That very first verse is actually very important. Receive one who is weak in the faith, 
but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Basically, if you're a vegetarian and someone else is a carnivore, I won't tell you which side I'm on, um, don't despise or judge, for God has received That's God's child. It's God's child, okay? Verse 4, who are you to judge another servant? That's God's servant. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Here's the second illustration. So we have meat and, 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 other, and other places, meat offered to idols and things like that. That's your first illustration. Verse 5 is your second illustration. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he, do, he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives, gives God thanks. The second illustration is we believe the Sabbath. Some were holding strictly to that Jewish tradition of the Sabbath every Saturday. That, that, that was going to be a day where nothing could be done. If you remember the life of Christ, you remember Jesus would do some crazy things on the Sabbath, like heal people, and they get mad at him. So it was the Sabbath. Verse 7, none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. He's basically driving home the point here. We belong individually to Christ. We are his. No one holds authority over us in this sense but Christ. Verse 9, for to this end Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Heavenly Father, speak clearly through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to give us three principles today. Three principles from this text and this chapter that I believe will help us as we walk through dealing with differences. Dealing with differences. The first principle this morning, the principle of doubtful things. That's what scripture, the terminology scripture uses. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And it goes into verse 2. He who is weak eats only vegetables. One who believes he may eat all things, let not him who eats. Despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat. Judge him who eats. For God has received him. Listen, there were obviously those of a more strict cultural upbringing that this food was unacceptable to eat. And, and then there were others that were more free in their cultural upbringing that basically if it walks or moves or grows, let's eat. And that was the... That was the dispute. That was the dispute. I believe Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 helps us 
with what Paul is teaching us. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 10, when he, Jesus, had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Jesus says, hey, you need to concentrate a whole lot more about the words that flow from your mouth than what types of food enter your mouth. And boy, if we could get that right, if we could get that right as Christians, if we're more concerned about the way we speak and what we say and how we say it and how it is received, rather than arguing over organic beef or non-organic beef, or over New York Strip or ribeyes. There is no debate, by the way. And we, and we kind of chuckle at it. But as I apply this in just a second, you're going to be like, oh, you mean in today's culture, these are some of those types of things. Just wait. Just wait. Get ready. As we continue in Romans 14, so the first one, the doubtful thing, was eating. Romans 14, verse 5, the second one, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He, do, he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. He gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. I want us to understand this really quickly about the Sabbath. Well, let me read. Let me read Matthew chapter twelve. Then I'm going to tell you something. Matthew chapter twelve, verse nine. This is what Jesus. This is what happened with Jesus on the Sabbath. When he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, "Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him?" Then Jesus, he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, uh, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of much more value then is a man than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. I want you to understand in that day, how serious the Sabbath was taken by the Jews, that they thought if we could get Jesus to break the Sabbath, then everyone would turn against him. That's how important the Sabbath teaching was. Okay, so some of the things we're going to talk about, you might say, man, those seem very important. Okay, but, but keep in mind, the Sabbath was so important that the Pharisees were like, if we can get Jesus to do something wrong, quote, unquote, wrong, heal on the Sabbath, we can get people to turn against him. That's how we can plot to, to get him killed. That's how we can plot to get him taken out. So it was very important in the, in the culture of the Jews. So the question is, what are some doubtful things that we find in our culture today? Certainly, I don't believe there's a big argument in the church about the Sabbath day. I'm pretty sure yesterday... I'm going to just throw this out here that 100% of us had a normal day yesterday. We did not observe the Sabbath in a traditional format. Some of you worked yesterday. Some of you, you know, who knows, you might have performed a miracle yesterday. I have no idea. There's no, no question. I don't believe, and I could be wrong, I don't believe anyone under the sound of my voice or even listening online has a certain eating belief 
that they then hold other people accountable to? You know, even if you have a strict belief in dietary restriction for yourself, and maybe you read the book of Daniel and you're like, man, I'm going to do the Daniel fast for the rest of my life. I'm just going to eat vegetables. Great. I don't believe we have a problem with us trying to hold that on other people. So, like, that's, I don't believe that those things are necessarily directly applicable to 2022. So, what are some doubtful things? Before I give you a very short list this morning, because I don't, my intention today is not to stir up anything. I want to make sure that we understand this principle as we interpret and preach and teach scripture. And here's the principle where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we are silent. Can we handle that? Say it again. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we are silent. Before you think this in your mind, let me go ahead and think it for you out loud. I understand that not everything that is obviously wrong is specifically like black and white, clear as day. I understand that. We're actually going to talk about that later on in our series. How do we take truths from the Bible and then practically apply them to some do's and don'ts in our lives? Okay? But that's not today's sermon. Not today's sermon. We're going to learn that. So just take this at face value here. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we're silent. Remember, this is a list of doubtful Things So just in the name that scripture gives them, by nature, these things are debatable. These things are debatable. And that's the whole point. Let's just start off with one that never has had any controversy in the church. Alcohol. Never been any controversy about that one. There are really good people who believe that no follower of Jesus should ever touch or come in contact with alcohol on any level. And they are 100% against its use in any way. And, and by the way, they can find Bible verses to support their view. Many of them, and, and some of the most um, passionate about this, a lot of times have experienced abuse as a result of alcohol in their past. And guess what? You can find scripture to support your view. There are really good people who fall completely on the other side of this that enjoy a drink on occasion in celebration or in the comfort of their home or uh, hanging out with, with friends. They do so with a clear conscience before the Lord. And may I say this, they can also find Bible verses in Scripture to back up their view. Okay, so that is a doubtful thing. It's a doubtful thing. I'll give you another one. If there's any theological people out here, Calvinism versus Arminianism. This is a centuries-old debate, literally. The smartest theologians in the world will debate these two forms of theology as it comes to salvation. And basically, at its core, the question is asked, which came first, regeneration or faith? One side believes that God regenerated you, giving you the faith to accept Christ. The others said you had faith and you accepted Christ and God regenerated you into his family. I don't have time to unpack any further than that. But can I just say this? Both sides of this argument 
can open up their Bible and say, well, read that verse for me and tell me what you think it means. Okay? So that is, by definition, a doubtful thing. You say, Josh, where do we make up our mind? Listen, we, the church, quote unquote, in general, has not made up its mind in 1,500 years about this. You ain't going to paint me in the corner, bro. Nope. I'm not crazy. Here's one. I mean, I know we've never traditional versus contemporary worship. Right? Over the past 30 years, no, no one thing I believe has kind of divided the body of Christ more than casual versus rigid or traditional versus contemporary. And let me just reiterate something that I've said before. Within five miles of this church right here on all sides, there are some extremely traditional liturgical churches that are doing some incredible things for Jesus, that are seeing people saved, that are seeing people discipled, and, and this church stands 100% for those people. Have at it. Within the same uh, five miles, there are churches that are further progressive than we are. The fact that we sang, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus this morning," they're like, what in the world is that? That's called a hymn. Um, but... Uh, and they're completely, they're, they're completely further down that path than we are. That is a doubtful thing. Newsflash. The book of Psalms and the entire scripture did not deal with like instrumental musicality. Lest we go back to when the book of Psalms was written and David playing on his harp and singing in Hebrew. Is that the standard? It's a doubtful thing. Hey, remember, some people hold very strongly to one side or the other some of these doubtful things. Remember, just like the Sabbath. Man, the Jews were like, that's the Sabbath. That's a big one. Okay? Here's one. Parenting philosophy. Oh, we're about to meddle. Okay. I'm going to read it because so, I've premeditated this. The Bible does give general guidelines for parenting. It does. But it does not address specifically major elements that parents face today. I think that's fair. The Bible gives us very clear general instructions for parents about nurture and, and admonishing our kids and loving our children and making sure that we are, are, are setting them up for success in the Christian life. But man, how about what happened in your house last Wednesday? Do you remember? What did the Bible tell you about that? I'm not sure. Didn't really address how do you deal with a smart aleck middle schooler? <laughs> you know, like, she's not in here, I could say that. Um, not that my kids ever do wrong. But, uh, <laughs> Just kidding. If you're new, that is a lie. Um, how about this church government? There's just a couple more. Church government. The New Testament gives a couple of glimpses in, into how the churches were organized in the first century. But it does not give direct instruction for us. It does not say, here's exactly how you're supposed to structure your New Testament church. Some churches are pastor-led only. One of my good friends is a pastor-only led church. He is literally... The decision maker, period. 
There are others that are congregational churches. Some of y'all, a bunch of y'all come from congregational-led churches where you fought over the flavor of mint that was going to be in the back of the auditorium for people. And you wanted spearmint. And they wanted peppermint. And you've never spoken to that person since. I'm just kidding. I, I joke about that. But there's a lot of infighting in churches. Church government. Listen, we are elder-led, congregationally affirmed. If you've, not, if you've not heard that, come to starting point today. We'll tell you a little bit more about that. Denominations. Oh, Really, really good people are deeply tied into fill-in-the-blank denomination. While there are other really good people who are more independent in how they view church, uh, church partnerships. Listen, I, I had a Presbyterian preach in this pulpit two weeks ago. And I'm about to go on a a pastor's retreat or a pastor's refresher thing uh, for some training with a bunch of non-denominational guys. So what? Do you, do you get it? Are you, do you see it? There are many areas that we would consider gray areas or non-essential areas that we must acknowledge as such. These are areas that we can and will disagree on. And it's okay. These are areas we can and will disagree on. And it is okay. I didn't even tell you other than the food part. I didn't even tell you where I land on these things. And it doesn't matter. Because these are gray areas. They are not the virgin birth of Jesus. They are not the deity of Christ that he is God in the flesh. They are not the virgin birth. They are not the fact that Jesus came and died in salvation is by grace through faith in him alone. It is not the God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. It is not that. No, this is a doubtful thing, a debatable thing, a gray area. As we would say it in reference to what we're talking about. A non-essential. That does not believe, mean that if you believe something specific about those things, that you're, you're non-essential. No, doesn't mean that. But in the context of what we're speaking about. But I know what you may be thinking. And once again, I'd like to verbalize what you might be thinking. What about the things that seem to be very clear in Scripture? Not Calvinism and Arminianism. Not like specific parenting philosophies. What about other things, though, that seem to be very clear in Scripture, but they may not be on that essential to our faith list? That's the question I had as I was preparing this sermon series, as I was uh, getting my heart and mind wrapped around this. I said, well, God, there are some things in between those gray areas and those essentials there's some things you're pretty clear on in Scripture. Are we supposed to not care? Are we supposed to not stand? And I, I use the word fight. I don't mean literally fight, but you understand. Are, are, is there something in between there? The essentials of our faith and these non-essential items that we've listed today, and there are many more. Is there something in between there? And I'd like to give you second, the second principle this morning. That is the principle of importance. The principle of importance. We must understand that there are certainly some very important beliefs 
that followers of Jesus would hold too tightly, but they may not be faith-altering. Does everybody get that? These are important. These are true. But they do not alter our faith. Okay? I'm not giving many of these. But I want to help us with this. Because I'm in no means promoting that there are not clear-cut teachings in Scripture. That's not what I want to come across today. I think there are some important things. Here's a couple of them. Sexual sin. Sexual sin was not on our list. Okay, it was not on our essentials list. But sexual sin was also not on our, you're going to believe what you believe about it and you're going to believe what you believe about it. Bible believers know that it's clear in Scripture that sex outside the confines of marriage, and if I may be so bold in 2022 in Durham to say the confines of marriage between a man and a woman is wrong and condemned in Scripture. Sex outside of marriage is condemned in Scripture. This is the will of God, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, for your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Period. That is an obvious right and wrong. And by the way, as the church, we need to stand on the right side of that truth. I think that's, that's the biblical thing for us to do as a church as we're thinking through Romans chapter 14 as we deal with differences, uh, that these right and wrong subjects, we need to stand, but we need to stand properly with grace, but stand. Stand. This, this sexual sin and what we believe about that to be right and to be wrong does not carry the significance of the virgin birth or salvation by grace through faith. And, and I know that sometimes things like this can be uncomfortable for us to talk to, uh, talk through as a church, but it is a highly important teaching. I am raising my daughters and teaching them the rights and wrong of this specific topic. And we should not in any way treat it as though it were a gray area because it's really not. Is that fair? If I'm being unfair, please tell me afterwards. I believe I'm being fair with Scripture. I don't believe that what we spoke about sexual sin holds the weight of the grace of Jesus dying for us. But I also don't believe it holds the weight of, hey, you parent one way and I parent the other way. Okay. Is that fair? Get a head nod? All right, cool. We wait. All right, good. Let me give you a second part. Obvious commandments. Now, that is, ob that is like a broad thing. But let me explain. Think about the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. I mean, we're we just going to be like, oh, it's a gray area. It's all on the essentials list. Like, if you want to, go ahead. I mean, I'm not going to judge you. <laughs> I'd like to kill that person over there too. So go right ahead. No. Thou shalt not steal. I mean, come on. It's not on the essentials list, Josh. So, like, I mean... Look, if you want to steal, I mean, have at. I mean, 
If you want to steal, let me introduce you to Andrew, our, one of our police officers. Um, no. Um, uh, you know, it's whatever. It's just what. No. There are clear commands in Scripture. Think, think the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, now, keep, t- think the Ten Commandments in context. Because what was one of the Ten Commandments? Observing the Sabbath. Keep it in context. Okay? You're like, man, the Bible is like, ah, and it is. It's ah, whatever that means. What about the works of the flesh in the, books of, in the book of Galatians? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, love. The works of the flesh, anger, disobedient to parents, malice. It goes through all this list of like obvious things that are wrong. Are we like, well, disobedient to parents is not on the same level as the Trinity. So like, hey, if you would like to be disobedient to your parents, like, go right ahead. I'm not going to judge you. No, obviously, there's clear teaching here. There's clear teaching in Scripture. So please, we should not be guilty of taking gray areas and taking the gray areas argument and placing it upon important, clear commands of Scripture. And while those, those uh, commands may not be quite as important as our essentials, they are also more important than our gray areas. I, I'm trying to be today as clear as I possibly can because I want us to leave here uh, with, a, with a thirst for, for Romans 14. How do, we, how do we cooperate and fellowship with and become friends with and close family with people that believe differently than us? as we're going to learn throughout this sermon series. There are gray areas. Then there are important areas that are not gray. And then there are our essentials. Remember, we spoke last week and made the statement, if everything is the most important, then nothing is the most important. Okay, if everything is an emergency in your life, then nothing is an emergency because you are just operating in emergency mode. Thirdly, and I believe where we come together, obviously, because thirdly is the principle of unity. Verse 7 in Romans chapter 14, back in our text, none of us lives to himself, no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Basically, you do not exist in a bubble, in a vacuum on your own. We all belong to Christ. We are all believers. It's taken for granted here. This is speaking to believers. For to this end, Christ died. He rose and he lived again. That he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul says... Jesus died and rose, not so that you guys could fight over these things. He's the Lord over the dead and the living, the ones who die, the ones that live, the ones who eat, the ones who don't, the ones who observe, the ones who don't. He is Lord over both. So, verse 10, why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt? For your brother. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
you're going to give account for what you believe. What's the goal of this chapter? I believe the overarching goal that Paul is pleading for is ultimately unity among people who are radically different from one another. Paul warns us about placing judgment on a fellow believer or despising a fellow believer because of their different viewpoints. Paul will continue to unpack that truth of judging and despising throughout this chapter as we continue to dig into it. But I want us to make sure we understand the principle of unity that we find in the text today as well as throughout the rest of this chapter. And I want us to understand this phrase. Unity does not require unison. Unity does not require unison. I am not a singer. I'm also not a musician. But I could go over there to the piano and I'm not. And I could hit that one note, middle C. I do know how to find that. I could hit that note. I could do this. That's amazing grace. It wasn't beautiful. You know why? Because there's one note in unison. What makes music beautiful is Brent is singing the lead part and Holly is singing, let's just say the alto part, I'm not really sure. And Nate is singing the tenor part. And what Holly is singing is different than what Brent's singing and is different than what Nate's singing and vice versa. But it all harmonizes and there's a unity and it's pleasant to the ear. If I got up here to sing and they're like, hey Josh, I want you to sing that part. I'm going to let Brent sing the lead and Josh, you sing the part, y'all. You'd be like, something ain't right. You'd be, like, you'd be looking at Sherry going like, turn him down. Listen, unity is not unison. In fact, musically, unity is really beautiful when there's like three. There's like a lead note and there's two harmonies. And there's a fourth part there sometimes too. But like that's, and I don't really know what I'm talking about there, but I believe I'm right. Um, does everybody get that? The, the way that someone said it to me was, we don't have to be twins to be brothers. We don't have to be twins to be brothers. And so today as we unpacked worth fighting for, what is worth fighting for? Well, we know the essentials of our faith are worth fighting for. Listen, those are essential to your salvation. Those are essential to everything about the Christian faith. I believe we can agree that the gray areas, your parenting philosophy, the type of food you eat, I believe we can agree that that is not worth fighting for. 
But there's this third one, right? The important ones. Not faith-altering, but not great. And I believe, I don't believe the word is fighting, but I believe those are worth standing on. Standing on. Clearly standing on. Come over here, I'm going to fight you. I'm going to leave you alone over there, but here's where I stand. Is that fair this morning? As I tried my best as I was preparing to be clear. So as we conclude this biblical conclusion, not worth fighting for the gray areas. Worth fighting for, oh, the essentials. Worth standing on the important matters. And, and, and as a caveat, I did not exhaust the list of gray areas, and I did not exhaust the list of important matters. I couldn't do that. There's too many moving parts. So your job as a Christian is to decipher those things in your life and then to stand accordingly. Worth fighting for, may I remind you, the Bible is infallible and sufficient. The uniqueness, virgin birth, and deity of Jesus. The triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three and one with unique attributes but unified. The necessity of the cross, that salvation was by grace and through faith and that Jesus didn't stay in that grave, but on the third day he rose again and is coming back. Essential. Essential. You say, what is the overall goal? The overall goal is this, that we as a church family can become unified. Okay? And here's what it looks like. We know what we'll fight for. We know where we stand. And we show with so much grace and so much flexibility in the gray areas. To me, that is the church family in unity. It's the church family making music together with those three parts that are close, but they're not exactly the same. And it sounds beautiful. I wonder if you're here today, and I don't know, the, the Holy Spirit can speak to people however he wants to speak to people. I'm not in charge of him, okay? He's in charge of me. Maybe today you were sitting here and you heard, heard me speak through these essentials a couple of times. And salvation is by grace and through faith. And you're like, man, I, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. What does that mean? If you've never had an experience with Jesus, we spoke today and this, this chapter really is geared towards those who were believers that were from very different backgrounds. But if you're not a believer in Jesus today, that is step one. And then everything gets crazy like we just talked about. But that is step one. If you're here today and you've never made that decision for yourself... Maybe your grandma or your, your whatever, your cousin, your uncle, you know, bought the chairs for the kids' class at your church and you grew up in Sunday school and you know those songs. And, but if you've never on your own by for yourself trusted Jesus and given your life to Christ, that's step one. None of what we just preached matters unless you have the essentials. 
And so today I invite you, I'm not going to give an invitation per se, but I invite you if Holy Spirit is speaking to you about those essentials and that main one being salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus and Jesus alone. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I would love to take my Bible and open it up and show you just how much God loves you. Spoiler alert, he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.